So Gabby Williams is in the studio, and you spell your name G-A-B-B-Y. And you're from this part of the country, right? You you were born and raised in Washoe County? In Reno, yep, or Sparks. And you were born in the 1990s? Yes. So I'm just barely a little bit older than you. I was born. Barely. I was born in the 1970s in Washoe County. I grew up, went to uh, went to public schools all throughout here. I went to Grace Warner Elementary. I went to Clayton Middle School. And then I went to McQueen, which was a, probably a rival of yours mm-hmm. in high school. Maybe it was. I think when I was, right after I left McQueen, I think our girls basketball team had a run of like four state championships in a row. Does that sound familiar? No, that was before my time. It was way before your time. <laughs> so, something something went on in that time, but there was I, I talked to some of the athletes that came out of McQueen at that time, and I think the girls had a pretty good career, but that's really what what you were known for in this area once you got to high school. But I want to start a little bit before that. When did you know, at what point in your life did you know that you were going to specialize as either an athlete or specifically a basketball player? And I know that you're in track and field and you do all sorts of athletic events, but was there, was there something that went off in your head or your family's head where you're like, man, I really got, I really got some talent here. You know, it was always just a big part of my life um, and my family's life. But I think the big turning point for me was in high school, right when I tore my ACL, because that's when I had to make the decision between track or basketball. Um, and, you know, I, I was just an athlete. I just liked sports, you know, because they were just a part of my life. I never really thought about the future of it. Um, you know, I was a WNBA fan, but I wasn't like, oh, the WNBA is going to be my life. Like, I was never – anyone who knew me in high school knew that wasn't my kind of intentions. And then uh, I was deciding if I wanted to go to college for track or basketball. And then um, I tore my ACL and had to make the decision of picking one sport. And I think that was my junior year of high school when I decided – I was going to really focus on basketball and make it my life. So, but going into high school, middle school, elementary school, were you a star in like what, like the boys and girls club? They have the, um, they have a basketball program there. I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but there's, there's, there's youth basketball leagues, there's youth Mm -hmm. baseball, softball, there's all kinds of youth athletics. And today, in today's world, it's even more prevalent than it ever was when I was growing up. There's a lot more opportunity for athletes to become successful or at least have a chance to get on the field or on the court and play. Would you agree with that? It's a, it's a, it's a lot more abundant these days. It is. And, um, I don't really agree with everything that's going on today as far as... Because when I played, I mean, I played for like eight different AAU teams growing up. I just played for whoever would take me. I played in California. I played in Texas. Like, I I just played everywhere. Um, And I think nowadays parents are so like, if my kid's on your team, you better get my kid a scholarship. I don't care if my kid's good or not, you know? That's kind of what it's turned into today. And, I mean, I'm seeing all these, like, recruiting tournaments and things like that for kids who are still in middle school. Like, I didn't even think about that stuff till you know, my sophomore year of high school probably. But, um, I mean, growing up, I just played for anyone. I just, I just wanted to play and just be around um, other kids that like basketball too. So when you're talking, I'm, I'm trying to figure – I'm trying to – digest what you're saying are you saying that some of the fun might be taking out of being taken out of youth athletics in today's society yeah some of, some of the fun and I think some of the kids um independence too and uh it's kind of almost they want it to be handed to them now you know they 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 have to have a, a reward at the end in order for them to do it you know they have to know they're, they're not just playing to play or playing to get better or because they love it they're playing because uh there's something at the end of the road for them, um, and they want that guaranteed, you know. So are you are you saying that that it's 
the participation mindset, and that's what I call it. You know, Matt talks about a mindset a lot in the gym, and I know that you have a, an incredible mindset to accomplish what you have done, not just in athletics, but in life in general. And a participation mindset to me is like, you know, I hate to use the word cancer, but it spreads. And I think that's what I'm reading into what you're saying right now. And I don't want to always, I don't want to assume what you're saying. I want you to tell me, but that, that whole mindset of everybody is a champion. Everybody gets a trophy. Everybody gets a scholarship. It almost, uh, it's almost giving these kids false hope in a way to where they're going to be let down in the end because the percentage of kids that go on to the next level, level, whether it's junior college, NCAA Division Two, Division Three, Division One, which you played. We'll get into your UConn career in a little bit, but mm-hmm. it's going to be a huge letdown for a lot of kids if their parents are always saying, "Oh yeah, there's light at the end of the tunnel." I'm not saying that you don't set goals. I'm not saying that you don't right. give them something right. to fight for, but you got to be realistic, right? Mm-hmm. And you got to you got to let them earn it. You know, you don't want it earned for you. So then, there are a lot of these programs where kids kind of are guaranteed that scholarship or whatever. But then. Did they really earn it themselves, or did their parents or coaches do it for them too? You know, because I mean, when I was playing, I never thought I would—I never even thought of UConn or even you know leaving, kind of the Pacific Air Coast area. You know, I was just playing, and um, you know, when all that stuff did happen, I felt like I really earned it. I felt like I worked for it. You know, it wasn't handed to me. But now I don't think there's that. I mean, I'm not saying you know everyone is like this, but it's less common. But when you hurt yourself, it was your junior year of high school? Yes. And is it true that you were averaging like 30 or 32 points a game at the time and, and, and double-digit rebounds and seven or eight assists a game? I mean, you're almost a triple-double a game. Mm-hmm. Like those numbers to me are unheard of. I don't study a lot of high school basketball, but 30 points a game at any level is legit. And you're earning it, but are you are you getting favoritism played to you at all in the, in that time of your life? Are you kind of like the golden child to where you're protected? You're getting the red carpet rolled out for you at a young age. You're like a local celebrity. All of the local news agencies are trying to get a Gabby Williams interview after every game at Reed High School, or, or you might be on the road. Was was it was there any pressure at that time to where you're like, man, these people really are expecting this from me? Or was it still fun for you? Were you out there like this little eight year old girl smiling and shooting the basketball? But or did you have a ton of pressure on your shoulders when you're, you know, expected to score 30 points a game? Um, I mean, it was it was a combination of both, but it was it was fun for me. And I think the the stats and everything that was just a result of my competitiveness it wasn't like I was going into every game like, okay, let me make sure I get my points, assists, rebounds, and all that stuff. It was let me go in and let me win. Let me get my make my teammates better. You know, how are we going to accomplish our goals as a team? And and then the stats were just kind of a result of that. So do you – when you say the stats were just a result of that, you're saying that mindset comes back into my in, – you know, what I'm thinking about is that – you know that you trained hard. You know that you didn't take it for granted. You know that your practice sessions had a had a some substance to them, and they weren't just going through the motions. Mm-hmm. Talk to me a little bit about your mindset, Gabby, because it's it's really cool to meet you and to see how humble you are with your accomplishments. You always, a lot of people always attribute things like arrogance or cockiness or or you know those kind of words to somebody that has reached your level. They automatically assume like, oh yeah, she's she's arrogant or she's cocky or whatever. You, you don't have an arrogant bone in your body. I can tell by knowing you for a few minutes. Going out on the court with that mindset of, hey, I'm out here to have fun, but I'm out here to do a job, and I'm out here to make my team better. 
talk to me about your teammates and making them better and knowing that your leadership, you had to have been a leader at, at 16, 17 years old with that kind of, you know, that scoring mentality, 30 points a game, that many rebounds a game. You are a leader. You had to be a leader at a young age. Is that the role that you took? Did you accept it right away? Or were you still kind of bashful of saying, hey, I'm just out here to have fun? Or you had to become a leader at a pretty young age, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I was never out there just to have fun, too. You know, I was always out there to compete and to win. And um, that was fun for me. <laughs> but uh, I definitely took that um, leadership role over pretty, pretty soon. Um, and I had a relationship with my high school coach. I mean, she practically raised me. I'd known her since I was in second grade. So I had to be that kind of um, bridge between her and my teammates. You know, I had to be the, the – I knew I could be the best captain because I could translate what she was trying to say. I could be the second coach on the court, and that was easy for me to embrace. So you – did she ever walk up to you and go, Gabby, I need your help. I know that you're only 17 years old, but I need your help being kind of a player assistant here. Or did she just automatically look to you as like, hey, Gabby's out there. We're, we're good. Yeah, I think it was kind of automatic just because uh, we just already had that relationship. Um, this is Sarah Schoper. I'm sure everyone knows who she is. She coaches at Reed. Uh, we just kind of already had that relationship established. And I mean, there were times where we'd be texting um, the night before practice and we'd just be like, okay, cool, we're on the same page. Like, as always, just like, hey, let's do this tomorrow, that kind of thing. And um, it, was, it was almost unspoken. So when, as far as the normal everyday life of a high school kid, mm -hmm. was it normal for you? Was it I go to lunch with my friends? Was it off campus? Did you jump in the car and go to Taco Bell over there off of Bering? Did you go to Gym Boys across the street? Were you having fun? Was there Friday night parties? Was there a beer drank at a young age? Or was it so cut and dry discipline that, hey, I'm Gabby Williams. I'm going to, I'm, I'm cut from a different cloth. Or were you still a kid? Because I'm, I'm envisioning this whole mentality that you have to have to be that good. And you were that good because that's a lot of, that's a lot of stats that you're putting up. Was it a normal high school residency? Or were you kind of, were you like, you know what, screwed. I'm still going to have fun and enjoy this. Or was it just cut and dry? I'm an athlete and I'm, I'm going to the next level. I think you have to have a balance of both. Um, even at UConn, we kind of had that established, like you have to be able to compartmentalize everything. You can't be 100% focused on basketball all the time or else you're going to just drain yourself. You're not going to be able to do it. And, you know, uh, so I had that balance. I had a lot of friends who did not know a thing about what I did athletically. And, I mean, I just spent Christmas with them last night. <laughs> like they, they were friends with me because I was Gabby. Um, and... Uh, you have to have the balance. You have to be able to have fun and to focus on school, you know, and then focus on your friends and social life, focus on your family, and then focus on basketball. It can't be everything all at once all the time. Before we keep going on basketball, I want to make sure that I also have your, your career, the, the timeline correct. You're just Gabby. You have all these friends. You're a high school star. You're a high school standout in Nevada, which, you know, at, at one time Nevada – probably was never known for local, you know, like specialized or high school or youth athletics. I think there's been some names that have come out of the state of Nevada in the past. There's been big athletes that have come out here, but we don't have the, 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 you know, the Las Vegas schools, like, and I'm talking Northern Nevada when I say that, mm -hmm. but you think of California, Texas, Florida, these bigger schools that have a, a bigger recruiting pool. You're in this little town of Sparks, Nevada. You're putting up these numbers, but you also have another career on the side in track and field. And I want to know a little bit about this. You set records nationally, correct? That are that you still hold, I believe. Mm 
as a high jumper? Yeah, as a high jumper. So you set the high school national record as a high jumper? What record did you set? Um, 15-year-old world record. 15-year-old world record. Mm -hmm. And were you an Olympic alternate? Yes. So this is before your junior year of high school that you were going to be an Olympic alternate for the London Olympics because yeah, I'm, I'm trying to put the timeline together. So it was before you got hurt your junior year. Yes. You were going to be an Olympic alternate? Yes. The real Olympics or the junior Olympics? The real Olympics in London. How do you do that when you're only, <laughs> when you're only 15 or 16 years old? You, you, were, you were literally being, being told by the U.S. Olympic Committee that you, Gabby Williams, are an Olympic alternate for the high jump at 15 years old? That's like, 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 that's like some Serena Williams, you know, <laughs> I don't want to curse around you, but like, that's some stuff that you just like, you, I'm trying to fathom that 15 years old. I mean, most kids don't even know really how to, how to drive. They're not even driving yet. And you're being told, Hey, you're going to the Olympics. Is I, is that normal for a 15 year old kid to be told they're an Olympic? Is that going on in, you know, all the time in today's society? No, it's not. I mean, and for me, it, it was like overnight, it felt like, um, I mean, I knew it was same, like you were just talking about for Northern Nevada. I was always good for Northern Nevada. For basketball, I was always good for Northern Nevada. But I think that year for basketball and track was the first time I even I realized myself that, okay, I wasn't just good for Northern Nevada. I was good. Like, I was just good. <laughs> and um, it really just happened like a month. Uh, I remember I jumped six foot for the first time, which was a goal of mine since, you know, we started the year. And I turned on the TV, and it was like that's what one – um, like all the conference championships in college. And I was like, oh, so you're telling me if I was in college right now, I would have won. And I had no idea. I just wanted to jump six foot. I didn't know that, it, you know, in comparison to the collegiate level or professional level, how good that was. And then, you know, I was a TA for like my track coach and we're sitting there in his uh, classroom and he's just like, hey, you know, this is like an Olympic standard, right? <laughs> like you could go to the trials. The next thing you know, I was jumping, I think it was like six, one and a half or whatever. And I made a standard and we were like, wow, we, let's go to Oregon. Let's, you know, try out for the Olympics. Like it was literally just like overnight. It felt like. So the, this is the event to where they, they there's a bar with a big pad behind it. Mm -hmm. You get a running start and then you have to time your jump. Do you jump off a of one foot or two feet? One foot. So, you know, Fosbury flop. Fosbury flop. Yeah. So you, you almost jolt your body into the air, and before, right when you're clearing the bar, you turn over to where now you're, you're looking straight up at the sky, right? You're kind of in a, uh, on your back position like you were in the water doing the backstroke. Yeah, this is so funny hearing, like, but this is, but, but you got to understand, coming from a five-foot-nine white dude, talking <laughs> to somebody that can clear a six, and we and you have already been smack-talking about what my vertical jump is compared to yours, and I really think, like, in a box jump, I could maybe compete maybe at 43, 44 inches. That's mm -hmm. pretty good for a five foot nine white guy. Pretty good. Yeah. It's a little bit above average maybe, but we're talking about having your body six feet in the air, flopping over this pole at 15 years old, getting called into your coach's office saying, you know that you're an Olympic standard right now. Mm -hmm. um, are you, and you say that you naturally, you're starting to say, hey, I might have something here. I might be better than Nevada good because there is a such thing as Nevada good mm -hmm. that's those, those parents you know putting their hand on the kid's head saying hey you're really good you know we're doing this and there are great athletes that come out of this part of Nevada that's not I'm not saying that there's not but when you finally get the mentality that it's time to go to the next level now you're saying I could be an Olympic caliber jumper mm -hmm. I can dribble a basketball and shoot a basketball pretty good I'm averaging a lot of points this year for the Reed Raiders Talk to me about the mindset, though, because this is a big part of an athlete's life, and it's going to happen no matter who you are. 
um, adaption, being able to adapt, having the mindset to be able to get over an injury and overcome diversity like you did with this. So now you get hurt. And is it, oh, my God, my career is over? Or is it, doctor, get me fixed and get me in rehab. I'm ready to rock. Or was there just a slight second, Gabby, to where you're like, I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to play again? Not at all. Um, The first, well, I tore my ACL twice. The first time, I don't even remember, like, crying when I found out the news. I was just like, you know what, I'm a junior. Um, I still had all my offers and everything. I was just like, all right, this is a detour. I probably had, like, that was probably the most proud of myself looking back as far as mindset that I had. I was just so ready, like, all right. Then I, you know, got in touch with Matt Pandola, and that's how I got involved with him. Um, My physical therapist at the time, you know, recommended him. So I started working out with him, got in great shape. Um, almost exactly a year later, uh, I found out my body, there's like, you know, it's not the doctor's fault or anything. Um, it's just kind of a luck thing. It's a one in 1,000 chance that your graft just kind of gets rejected. So I found that out a year later, and then that's when I was kind of, I had to get surgery again, and that's when I was probably devastated because I was like, I just did everything right. You know, I worked, I worked my butt off, did everything I, I was told to do, and it's still... Like, I still didn't get the outcome I was supposed to get. And I think that was the first time that I was like, you know what, maybe maybe I don't make it. Because then I had to be at UConn in three months after that, after I had to get surgery. And I was like, that was that was probably the first time I was like, wow, maybe this isn't, you know, my path. So what do you have to do? Does it, does it take Matt sitting you down and saying, hey, you, you can do it? Because this is where a human being, an athlete, um, we're talking about – you know, a female athlete here, which I want to get into because I always have wondered, like, what is it the same playing field? Is it the mm-hmm. same advantages? Is it this? Or is it fair? You know, like, is it the same level as as a male athlete? And when you're a female athlete, you you probably have been told like you you know you hear these things in life like you throw like a girl or you run like a girl and mm-hmm. when you watch you do sports like you really do like you 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 are a girl and you can do things as good as any guy that i've seen in watching your videos but the mentality the mental part of it growing up a little girl are you coddled to the point to where it's easier to give up or is there mentality in you as a woman of being you know what there's nothing that's going to stop me because now it's easy to give up i just did everything right now I'm being told that I have to go under the knife again. I have an opportunity to have all of my college education pay, played, paid for by one of the top institutions in the country when it comes to academics and athletics at UConn. You, you almost are, are, you got to be ready to give up and just throw in the towel and say, you know what, I'm just going to go get a job at Rayleigh's and bag groceries for the summer and, and see what happens. Or are you like, nope, let's go to work and you sit down and talk to Matt. Is, was it always 100% forward or were you about to give up then? Um, well, to answer, like, the, the first part, I don't think I was ever treated as a, a female athlete. I was just an athlete, and that's how I was raised, as just an athlete. There was no male, female, whatever it was. And um, so that, that was never a thing, like, oh, well, because you're a girl, you can do this. I, that was just never kind of instilled in me. Um, but then, you know, when I tore my ACL for the second time, I mean, me and Matt just sat down and went right back to the drawing board of like, okay, well, we're, you go to you go train at UConn in three, four months. So, you know, what are we going to do before, before then? What's our map? What's our plan for that? And you kind of just have to slow yourself down because when it all happened, I just collapsed. Like, everything just went terrible, and I couldn't think straight. You know, I was depressed, and I thought my life was over because I was thinking five years, three years ahead. 
instead of thinking about what am I going to do tomorrow to get better? What am I, what's my next step? When am I going to start walking? When am I going to start running? You know? And that's when I sat down with Matt and that's when we kind of drew that out. Like, you know, we, we had a limited amount of time. I knew I wasn't going to be able to get my full recovery with him, but we were like, okay, we can have you here. He got in touch with the trainers at UConn and, um, just figured out, okay, here's where she's at. Here's where she's testing and all that stuff. And I just had to slow myself down and take it one day at a time. I like hearing that because it puts in the perspective of the mindset that it takes to be a, that, that, that it takes to be a leader. And Matt Pendola is also with us today, guys. This is Chad Belding. This is life. This life ain't for everybody. And I'm honored to have Gabby Williams in the studio today. Gabby Williams was a a standout in this part of Nevada. When I say this part of Nevada, I mean northern Nevada. She grew up in the Reno Sparks, Washoe County area. And she dominated sports, and she she achieved everything that you could expect from a high school youth athlete. She was an All-American in high school several times, which we're going to get into. She received a full-ride scholarship to UConn in basketball. She was an Olympic alternate for the high jump at 15 years old for the London Olympics. And there's also stuff that you will learn about Gabby that she she doesn't even, you know, brag about or talk about, but her accomplishments are, you know, first and foremost amazing. But there, there's some that you can, you know, hang your hat on a career, and, and, and she's still going, playing in the WNBA now as a first-round draft pick as well as the European Professional League in Italy. Um, I'm going to get into speaking Italian with her a little bit and challenge her to a maybe a lasagna cooking contest. But there is a common denominator in what we're talking about today, and you guys have heard Matt Pendola from the Pendola Project and Pendola Training on the podcast before. Matt Pendola, he's trained a lot of athletes in this area as well as across the country working with Olympic caliber runners and sprinters and long distance guys with Bobby McGee, coach Bobby McGee at the Olympic village. But you can hear Gabby talk about when what I just got out of that is that her career was at a standstill. She had just went under the knife for the second time her senior year. She had already signed a letter of intent and a full ride scholarship to play at the university, you know, UConn. And now she has to have somebody in her life to be able to get her back on top. And she's attributing a lot of that to Matt Pendola. So Matt, are you looking at it like, Hey, this is like my biggest science project ever. I got a chance to, to have Gabby Williams brag about me 10 years after she signs this letter of intent. Or are you like Gabby and saying, you know, one day at a time, because this is the mindset you always talk about. The mindset of a leader is, hey, we can't overlook this to get to that, because if we overlook this to get to that, this is going to beat us. And that's, you know, you got to have that mindset. So is that what your teaching her is like, hey, let's get by tomorrow first before we think about flying over to Yukon? Yeah, you know, I have a question for you first, though. Did, did you push record? I know your producer's not here. <laughs> yeah, I got it Let's all. not mess this up because this is pure gold right now. Yeah, I, hey, I, got, I know. I, hey, I'm, don't, you were late. <laughs> you, this is like being around a celebrity, you know. It's casually 30 minutes late. She was in hair and makeup and wardrobe. I get it, dude. I get, I get her mentality. Yeah, no, uh, absolutely. I, I will say that at the time, Obviously, I was uh, nervous. I, for myself, I mean, I, I wanted to make sure I was doing the right job. She, she mentioned that uh, I did communicate with her coaches at the time, and I wanted to make sure in that three months or so that uh, we were doing everything we could to get her where she wanted to be. So um, I always like to give credit where credit's due to. Um, th- situations like that tend to push you forward and uh, allow you to maybe become a better version of yourself as, as a strength coach. That's where I started to really research what I could do with an athlete like her. And I started uh, to follow Joe DeFranco, Jim Smith. Um, that's um, 
a big part of my programming now because of those guys. And so there's uh, some work that they were doing with athletes through their CPPS Academy and uh, Industrial Strength. Um, I got into the Insider Academy. I started to do a lot of programming based off of what I was learning they were doing with their world-class athletes. And uh, I took some of that stuff to Gabby and I said, okay, I think we're going to start with this plan where we're going to really start to work on some of these auxiliary strength issues. We're going to start to really work in your deep longitudinal chain, or in other words, the way her kinetics were working for her body at the time. And um, we, we had a plan. And, and I will say, though, with somebody like Gabby, the difference, guys, everybody listening, if you have kids, have them listen to this podcast today. This, this is gold right now. Uh, I'm going to have my kids at my gym listen to this podcast because what Gabby is saying about not giving up on herself, about being intrinsic, right? Her motivation was within herself. And she is the one who did all the work. I can't take credit for anything she's done before or since because she's that kind of a person. And better people make better athletes. You, you won't find a better person than Gabby. That's, I'm a proud papa, so to speak, when it comes to Gabby. I just love her. I will always love her. But it's because of the type of person that she is. She just happens to be a world-class athlete at the same time. But the decisions she makes along the way. Now, John Wooden's Pyramid of Success. I have to say, one of my favorite stories about Gabby is that when I started to really focus on mindset with my athletes, I put up this big pyramid of success. I still have it up in my gym. It's John Wooden's Pyramid of Success. Look that up if you haven't before. It's, it's phenomenal. So I showed it to Gabby the first day she came into my gym, and she looked at it, she smiled, and she said, yes, I've been uh, following that pyramid of success since I was a kid. And I believe it, right? It's, it's, it, it was within her. The first time I ever saw Gabby compete, I wasn't even her strength coach. I didn't even know her. She, I don't even know if she knows this story. I was standing on the side of the track, and all of a sudden there was all this clapping going on and all this commotion because Gabby, I believe, broke six feet that day for the first time uh, on a high school you know, track and field meet, and everybody was going nuts. And I look over at this kid, and you could... I'd never even met her before. The energy was different. Everything about her was different. You knew you were looking at a legend already. I can't explain it really, but I just knew that this was a special kid. And man, fate has a funny part of working itself out because now we skip ahead to after her second ACL tear, like she said, it was a series of unfortunate uh, things. And she was a little bit down for the first time, I think, like she talked about. But I knew that Gabby would never give up on herself. I knew that she was more of a person that was going to do the work and figure out how she could be a better person of herself, a better version of herself without feeling sorry for herself. And she did exactly that. But we focused on the now. We focused now. What can we do today? What can we do tomorrow? What can we get to by next month? By the time she went to UConn, she was really ready. I mean, uh, we knew that we she still had some work to do, but I felt very confident that she was ready. And um, again, that comes back to Gabby and her attitude because I feel like um, a lot of people, they are comparing themselves to so-and-so or why did this happen to me instead of why is this happening for me? So when it comes to Gabby, I have to say that her mindset, I think, is the most elite 
of her attributes. If you so really are you trying to tell it. me in so many words that when Gabby Williams gets hurt for the second time on her way to UConn and she says, why is this happening for me? Instead of saying, why is this happening to me? Her mindset right there is saying that this is happening for a reason. And this is teaching me a better way to train, a better way to take care of my body, a better way to strengthen this part of my core. It's her mindset of saying, hey, this is happening for a reason. This is going to make me a better person. There's no way that a girl at 17 years old has that mentality already. There's just that you can say that until you're blue in the face to me, but I, it's, I'm going to have a hard time believing that because the first thing that goes off in the human brain is to sulk, to feel sorry for ourselves, to get down, to blame it on somebody, to not take responsibility for it, and never ever to go, man, this is happening for a reason. I'm going under the knife again at 17 years old. I love the way my knee looks with the scar on it. I love stitches. I love it. There's just no way, Matt. There's no way that she has that mentality at 17 years old that this is happening for her. Hey, I, I didn't have that mentality at 17. And Gabby doesn't like to be called talented, guys. If you ever meet her, don't walk up to her and say, wow, you're so talented. Because a lot of people are talented. And hell, I was talented when I was 17. I got injured. I didn't have the same mindset she did. And that's what separates the good from the great. But yeah, she had that mentality at 17. So you talk about talent, the word talent and how Gabby doesn't like hearing it. You're so talented and Gabby, you're so talented. You got such a beautiful jump shot. You're just so, so tell, talk to me a little bit, Gabby, about behind the scenes, Gabby, the sweat, the, the tenacity, the training sessions. Like I've heard about your training sessions. I've heard you watch some of these behind the scenes videos. We're allowed to go in the, into the lives of athletes now on a daily basis on the internet and see what they're doing on a daily basis. I watched the video that I was telling Matt about, about TJ Dillashaw. He's a UFC champion, and he trains in Colorado. used to train in Sacramento. I was watching his ab workout the other day, and I'm like, wow, is that done for camera, or is that really what these guys are doing to stay in shape? You have to have a, a, a training program behind the scenes like Matt's talking about that's, first of all, has nothing to do with talent. It's pure grit, right? And I want to get into that word grit because that's been the theme of our week. You got to be one of the, you know, you got to have a gritty mindset to be able to get through these workouts. Are they easy? Are they like second nature to you? Are they challenging every single time you you go into the weight room or the swimming pool or wherever you're training that day? I mean, um, I think it's, it's whatever you make of it. Every workout is whatever you make of it. You know, you know, no one knows, um, your limits except for you. You're the only person that feels what you feel. So it, it just, it just depends on, um, at what point when you get, you know, Matt has a saying, you know, uh, what, do you, what, do you, what is it? It's like, um, you know, the real, the real production starts when, you know, you can't go anymore. Or, you know what I'm trying to That's say? That's close enough. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like it, no, it, I know, I know exactly you, what you're saying. Yeah. You know, once, once you reach the point where you feel like you can't go anymore, that's when you start getting better. And um, that could be in the easiest workout of your day. It's, it's just, you know how hard you can go. So that's completely intrinsic. So talk, I want to talk to both of you about this because I've been learning this about myself. And I never, like the other day I went in and Matt's always saying, you know, you don't need a whole bunch, at my age, I'm 44. I know I look like I'm 32. You already told me that, Gabby, I get it. You go into a workout and you feel like I'm done. I I can't go any further. I'm in the pool and I've done 400 meters Mm -hmm. and I really feel like my body is going to just stop and I'm going to sink. And talk to me about the word threshold. And the, th- the word threshold, I think, is so cool, Pendola, because, one, there is always going to be a physical threshold. As a runner, I've done it where you get to a mile and you're like, 
there's no way I'm going to get this fourth lap done on, into a mile. And then once you get that fourth lap done, it's almost like I can go two more miles at, at my, I'm not built like a runner, mm-hmm. but I get to this threshold. And if I get past that threshold, I can get there. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that I can go do a, a 32.6. I think that's how long a marathon is, or I can't go do the Xterra, but I'm saying my threshold, I get through it and I'm like, man, I just mentally beat my threshold. So you, you take that and you apply the word threshold now in life. And there's going to be so many thresholds, i.e. your knee operation, your, you know, the, the things that you have to adapt to in life. This word threshold is so cool. And maybe, maybe there's something in that, that, that kids can hear of like, there are going to be times in your life to where people are going to make you feel like you're nothing. You're going to have to give up. You're not good enough to go to the next level. That's a threshold. Did you face a threshold? Do you know what the word threshold is? Do you face it daily in your workouts? Do you challenge yourself to get by a threshold every day? Am I on to something with that word by challenging myself every day? Talk to me a little bit about the, the word threshold. Yeah, for sure. So uh, every year in my career, um, in college and now professional, uh, that word threshold has become more and more important because the natural talent and natural skill um, I like I I, I knew I know that I had a lot of uh, God-given ability. I knew I was just naturally athletic, um, and that got me pretty far in high school. Um, but what got me to the next level was my threshold, and you know what I applied with my athleticism and natural talent. You know, it's what I did with it. And then as I got to college, um, everyone was talented. You know, so what was going to set me apart? And now that I'm at the professional level, everyone is talented and very skilled. So what sets the, the good from the great at the professional level is that threshold and is the amount of work you put in and um, the mental aspect of it, because everyone's good. Everyone has the talent when you're at this level. So it's, it's you know, that mentality that, that gets you, that sets you apart. I love hearing that. So you're, you're mature enough to understand that it, you could be a, a, a junior at UConn. I remember this playing college baseball where – I went in there thinking, man, I just played for the Carson Capitals. I was hitting bombs like there's no tomorrow. And don't please don't ever think that I'm bragging about myself because I was average at best. But I've signed a full ride. I signed a D1 scholarship to go to UNLV. And I get there and I'm like, oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. Dude, this is I'm not even supposed to be here right now. Like I'm, I should be at a junior college in, in Carson City, Nevada, maybe compared to the mm-hmm. talent I'm seeing out there. In my mindset, right when I saw that, Gabby, I was like, I'm done. Mm-hmm. There's no way that I can compete with these guys. There's no way that I have that good of a swing. I I've never even been taught that. Mm-hmm. Look at how fast this. Look at this guy's first step. Look how fast he's filling the gap in center field. I mean, I've never seen anything like this coming from Reno. Granted, it was hard to play baseball in Reno. There was snow on the field almost the entire high school season. I could have had every excuse in the world. But what got me through it down there was one thing: was just work ethic was having the coach develop a mindset like, man, I wish I had nine of those on the field. All the talent in the world can't replace that. But then I'd get to the plate and strike out looking. He'd be like, oh, that's why, you know, yeah. that's why I don't have nine <laughs> of those out there. But my whole mindset was, if I can just work as hard as these guys and not come out here and be, you know, a slouch, mm-hmm. then the coach is going to say, hey, he deserves to be out here based on his work and his mentality. And I think that that's what got me through was that threshold was like, hey, I'm going to keep pushing through and pushing through. But when I hear you talk about threshold and you get to that level to where, man, everybody is as good as me, that's the difference in a great athlete because the, 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 the cream of the crop athletes are competing against the cream of the crop athletes, whether you're a boxer, whether you're an MMA fighter, whether you're a WNBA standout like yourself, you're competing against people that are on the same level as you. 
You have to find something within your, your mentality, your inner strength, your heart, your passion for the sport, your love, whatever it is, you have to figure out a way to set yourself apart. So is that, is that why you concentrate on defense? Are you known as a scorer still? Uh, and I'm not, I'm not asking a question. I'm just saying, like, where, where, where do you adapt to that to set yourself apart at that stage? Or do you just base it direct, you know, specifically to your leadership skills? Like, I'm going to be a leader out here. I don't care if this girl that is coming in as a rookie is as good as me. I'm, I'm going to be the leader of the team, and I'm going to make sure that she becomes an important part of this team. And as a team, we're going to develop a threshold to go to the next level. Yeah, so, I mean, that's – my freshman year at UConn was – I was just like a deer in headlights. I mean, I came from being the star, being, you know, great at everything, and, it, you know, nor, it wasn't that much competition, you know, for me. And then I get to UConn, and then there's all these terms I don't know. I'm pushed beyond, like, I ever thought I could go. I'm like, they, they want me to go harder than I'm already going, you know, kind of thing. And it was hard. I really struggled my freshman year. I mean, anyone who watched or saw or was just in that kind of – program will tell you that it was really really difficult for me I mean it's difficult for any freshman at UConn there's very few that do great as a freshman but that's why the program is so good because their standards are just so much higher than everyone else in the country and it's either you you sink or swim you know and a lot of people sink you know I came into UConn with five people in my class and left with two and it's it's not for everyone but that's what sets it apart is the fact that yeah and everyone always says, oh, well, Gino gets the best players in the country. Gino get always, well, there's 24 All-Americans every year. So we get two of them. What happens to the other 22? You know, why don't you hear about them? It's because they're not pushed the way that they're pushed at UConn. They don't have the standards, and they're not taught the threshold and all the mental things that were taught at UConn. And that's why that program has done so well. So is Gino, um, his mentality, is it, is it a, a, a militant mentality to where he's almost a drill sergeant? Or is he, is he so good at getting you and your teammates and the other girls on the team and the assistant coaches and the entire school and the entire campus and the entire student body, he gets them believing in that mindset, and now everybody's like, hey, this is just us. This is UConn. Or is it like, you better get down and give me 20 every single day. Is it, there is a difference there, if you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, no, he's not the drill sergeant that everyone kind of makes him out to be. He, uh, we call it buying in. Um, you know, you either buy in or you don't. And if you don't buy in, then you will be, for, you will be left behind. And uh, that's, that's what's gotten him so much success, is he gets these guys who are, you know, gods in their hometowns and things like that and all these local legends but he gets them to buy into his program and he gets them to play together and he, he always talked about this so I think the person who averaged the most shots per game was Maya Moore and she still only took like 12 shots a game while you have kids at other schools who are you know getting 20 30 shots a game but their teams are losing that's not this is, that's just not the kind of basketball we played at UConn you get five really really talented all-americans and you get them to play together and you get them to buy into what he's saying and I think that's what really sets it apart. Rewind real quick for me, Gabby, mm -hmm. if you will. You're a senior. This is before your injury, your second injury, where you're going under the knife again. What is the recruiting process like? Are you, are you know, you watch movies like The Blind Side or um, Boys in the Hood. I remember back in the day with Ice Cube when, when he was getting all these recruiting letters and he opened the one from USC and he's like, man, I got this. And I remember getting some of them and I still have them. But at your level, you're probably, your mailbox, your mom, your mom is probably like, what the freak, you know, like this, I'm carrying in this much mail every single day. Was it like that? Or is it kind of like every day you were getting McDonald's All-American letters, invites to camps, and then these coaches start recruiting you. 
what is the what what are you thinking back then like how are these guys even hearing about me like this how did UConn even hear about Gabby Williams yeah so um probably like my freshman sophomore year I was mostly just getting looks from like Pac-12 Mountain West like the WAC teams and stuff um WAC not like WAC you know like, <laughs> like WAC conference teams. Western Athletic Conference there you yeah go. um and you know I was getting letters I'd be in class and then like they would call me down in the office, hand me letters because they send them to the school. So I was just getting a lot of letters. You fill out the questionnaires and everything. But the real turning point for me was my junior year. Um, we went to the Arizona Nike Tournament of Champions. And I think that's when, because I mean, I never played for like those elite teams that I always just played for like the local AAU and just went to California and things like that. I never played for like those teams that you go on to like the Adidas 64 teams and all that stuff. I never played for them. So a lot of people didn't know who I was. So when I went to this TOC, everyone was just like, well, how have we not kind of heard of her? <laughs> and that's when um, UConn kind of heard of me and like Kentucky and Duke and all those. You got recruited teams. by Kentucky and Duke too? Yeah, yeah. Who else? You name it, right? <laughs> so like I just, I just had this funny skit in my head. Like I can picture you like sitting in your room and here comes your mom and she's like, read this one from Duke. And you're like, man, that's whack. Like, <laughs> like I just like no, when you no, said it like that, but it's not – like you've got to have the mentality of, or you've got to start developing like this confidence now of, of my gosh, I mean, is it humbling at this point, Gabby? Or are you kind of like saying, hey, I am the best of the best, I'm ready to go? Or are you just like in disbelief? Because to me, like this is an honor at this point in my life. If I'm you at 17 or 18 years old, this is like the highlight of most people's lives. Like you can close the book on a lot of people of saying, Look at what I'm going through right now. I'm getting recruited by every major Division One powerhouse in the country. Well, I, I never, I don't think I also realized how good I was either um, until I started getting, you know, those uh, calls and stuff after the TOC. Because I was like, okay, well, Pac-12, that's still really cool. Like I'll end up on a really good Pac-12 team. Um, and I thought that was kind of my peak. I didn't realize that UConn was even gonna think of me. You know. And I was like, dang, am I, am I that good? Like, how come no one told me, <laughs> you know? It was one of those things. And I think I was just really appreciative of every offer I got because I, I, I don't think I really knew the level that I was actually at. Same thing with track, you know, when I jumped six foot. And I was like, wait, that's the level I'm at? That was kind of how I was after the TOC because I would never really gotten that kind of national publicity before. So when you're there and you're getting these letters mm -hmm. and you open them and they say, Dear Gabby, I'm I'm so and so. I'm Gino. I'm I'm. I, I don't know a lot of. I, forgive me, but what was the what was the ladies the volunteers coach's name? Pat. Um, Pat Summit. Pat Summit. Did you get one from her? Did you get recruited? She actually she just passed away. She had Alzheimer's, and so she uh, she quit coaching before. So she had I, quit coaching before you got in there. Yeah. Um, you're getting these letters, and you're and you're seeing these names. Did you know who these people were? Did you were yeah. you at the point in your life to where you studied college basketball, or you watched it on Saturdays, female college basketball, NCAA, mm -hmm. Division One basketball? Did you know who Gino was when you were getting these letters already? Yeah, of course. So you had already had that. You had already researched college basketball and kind of had a feeling like, hey, as a junior, I might have a chance to go to the next level. You're being told this after this Arizona tournament. So these aren't a surprise to you when you're getting them in your mailbox. Um. I mean, some, some were a surprise. I mean, I was, I remember I was being recruited by Stanford. So me and Sarah Schober went to, uh, or no, me and my sister went to um, uh, watch a Stanford game and um, we watched them play UConn actually. 
UConn beats them by 20. So me and my sister are on, on the drive home, and Sarah Schoper calls me, and she's like, hey, Shay Ralph at UConn just called me. They want to start recruiting you. And I was like, oh, I just watched them beat Stanford <laughs> by 20. Do you think they saw you in the, in the audience or something? No, in the no, they didn't even know I was there. It just happened. It just worked out that way, which I just thought was a funny coincidence. But I was just like, are, are they sure? Like, I never – I knew who they were and everything, and I – uh, I mean, I knew Gene Oriam, everyone in women's basketball knows Gene Oriam, but I was just like, like I said, just wow, that's the level I'm at now, and it was just really humbling. And, I, and like I said before, it's like most people could take that experience and, 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 and base a life on that. And now, now you travel across the country to Connecticut. You know, that's the northeastern part of the country. That's up there in, in, in kind of the, in the geograph geographical part of the country. You're around Jersey and you're around New York and Rhode Island and, and, and all of the different part of the, the, the Pacific North, or I mean, I'm sorry, the northeastern part of the country. You are in a totally new environment. And now it's time to start a new book of memories. It's time, all that stuff that happened at Reed and driving home from Stanford. You know, most people are like, man, I'm, this is, I'm on the top of the world. It doesn't matter anymore now once you get there because now it's time to go to work. Mm -hmm. And when you go to work as a college athlete, you don't have mom waking you up and making sure that you're getting your lunch made and you're getting to the school bus stop and that you're getting to campus and paying for your gas to fill up your car once you turn 16. It's go time now. You're a young lady. You're a young adult. You're 18 years old. You're on the campus of the biggest NCAA female basketball team in the country right now. They're destroying Stanford by 20. And now it's the mentality is you could easily say, hey, I'm here for a reason. I just had a great drive home with my sister. I'm the best player in Nevada, and none of that means shit, right? Like right. now it's time to go to work, right? So are you, you said you were a deer in headlights at the time, so now his teachings, Matt's teachings, the, uh, for Sarah Schopert's teachings, their coaching, the mentality that you have, have, have gotten into your, your brain now, this is what's got to take over, right? As a girl going to the next level, let's, talk, let's act like we're in a recruiting trip right now. What what are, what were you expecting, and what did you see, and what can somebody expect in that situation? Did you think the red carpet was going to be rolled out for you, or did you know that you were going to be sweating the way you were going to be sweating at that time? I mean, you you don't know what you don't know, honestly. When you get there, it's it is such a different experience, and um, it was just the most it was the, the most I've ever been challenged, you know. Because you go from high school, like, you, you, I could just, I could rely on my talent. I chose not to, but I could have relied purely on just, like, my talent and natural ability in high school. Um, when you get to college, that does not matter at all when I got to UConn. And they wanted to make sure that I would be great despite of everything else. And, um, I mean, just the way we practiced, um, the hours you had to put in, um, the way you were kind of just, like, mentally challenged more than anything was, was the hardest part. Because they... You tell them that you're that you're done or that you're tired, and they're like, "No, you are not. Like this is not tired. You are not going hard." And I'm like, "Oh my gosh, I feel like I'm going as hard as I can." And then you do go as hard as they're telling you to go, and you're like, "Oh, there is this whole other level to me. You know, this is how I'm going to get better." And it took me a long time for that to really click. It took me pretty much my whole freshman year, even going into my sophomore year. So we're talking about threshold, and mm -hmm. now you're on the campus, and. You, you just literally quoted your, you, I, I'm quoting you. You said, in high school, I could rely on my talent. Mm -hmm. I know that you had a work ethic in high school because you don't get to a 30-point average without a work ethic, but you probably were a lot better than most athletes in that part of the country. There's no doubt about it. It's not a secret. Mm -hmm. But now you're at UConn, and this is where maybe at 18 years old, you really start to see what the word threshold means. 
and where grit is going to start coming into your life because now you really have to figure out what your substance is, right, Gabby? Right. You're going to have to dig deeper. And talk to me about digging deeper because you could have easily went in there and failed. You could have went in there and said, I don't have this mentality. I'm not ready for this. I just want to go back to mom. I just, just put me back in Washoe County. And I County. almost did. And I almost did. It was that hard. It was that hard. And like you were talking about earlier, you know, um, you have to find out what you're going to bring to the team, you know. So I was playing with the best shooter in the country, Clean Lewis. The best player, I think she will be the best player of all time, Brianna Stewart. The best point guard in the country with Mariah Jefferson and then Morgan Tech. I was playing with all these big names. So I was like, okay, I'm not as talented as these guys, so what am I going to bring to the table? And um, it took me a while to realize, you know, what I was really good at. And it was the defense. It was being a good teammate. It was, like, my passing ability and things like that, or just the way I ran the floor and worked hard. That's what set me apart. It wasn't my talent that set me apart at UConn. And I remember, it was actually, you came to the South Carolina game, actually, yeah. So we played South Carolina my junior year. And uh, I had, a, you know, a really good game. It was a big win for us. And, um, you know, I got a career high that night. I had a double-double. And, um, you know, Coach Oriyama pulled me to the side, and he was just like, what set you apart was how hard you worked in this game. That's why you got your career high tonight. He's like, when you don't work this hard, you are just like everyone else in the country. And... Was that hard to hear, or did you no. were you able to soak that in right away and, and understand it? Yeah, of course, I was able to understand. But it. But kind of you see where I'm going with that is like a yeah. lot of kids with at that age don't have the mentality to say, "Oh, I gotta you know I, I gotta persevere, I gotta keep working this hard. Mm -hmm. I can't rely on my talent anymore." But yeah. it goes back to how we open this conversation with the participation award. You already got your full ride. Mm -hmm. You've already you've already either been a six a six woman coming off the bench or a starter at UConn as a freshman. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You very easily could have said, hey, I, I've already been there, done that. I, you don't, you, there's nothing more that you can tell me. Mm -hmm. That's the participation award. I've already, you know, I'm, I'm, it's going to be given to me. I'm already here. So you, you, the, the way that you started this conversation is 100% the opposite of how you've gotten to the campus of UConn. Mm -hmm. Let's not let that go just to the wayside. You were never just there to freaking participate. Mm -hmm. Nobody was going to give all, all five girls on the court or every team in the league a medal. You had to win. You had to have that champion mentality to get to where you're at now on this, to even be in that game at South Carolina. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And I remember after the game, Coach Oriam was like, do you guys remember Gabby her freshman year? Did you think that she was going to be the one to, like, carry us in these games? And then, you know, from there we went to the Final Four, didn't get the outcome, but uh, that's kind of when I became that player that I had to set the, the standard on the team as far as energy and working hard and that, that kind of thing. And I've taken that to the league, um, you know, just that mentality of if I'm not working as hard as I can or doing, playing as hard as I do, then I will, I'm just like everyone else. And I think that's what um, I've tried to keep to make sure that I have, to, what, what I have to remember to set myself apart. So like you're, you're like 30, how old are you now, 30 or 31? I'm 22. <laughs> Unbelievable. And I knew that, but I'm asking the question yeah, in yeah, that format because at 22 to hear somebody talk about this you 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 hear the word millennial you hear the word where where what's going to happen to our communities and and our society with the way um the the way parents are raising their kids these days and mm -hmm. it's it's a serious matter to me because i i see a lot of people to where i'm like uh-oh like that's not the that's not the mentality that you're going to have to have the to to make a mark to be a leader to be somebody that's going to be a standout in your community and you don't have to be the all-star you don't have to be a celebrity 
you have to have substance. You got to bring something to the table to throw into that melting pot and to achieve a goal, whether it's for your homeowners association, whether it's for your PTA, Mm -hmm. I don't care what it is. If you just go through the motions, you might as well just stay at home. So now at 22 years old and you have this mindset and this outlook on life and you understand what the word threshold means, the message in all of this is that you always hear it. If I can do it, you can do it. And that might be true up to a certain point in a woman's career or a man's career, whether it's athletics or whatever you choose to do in life, whatever route you decide to take. Is it true, Gabby? If you can do it, can a little seven-year-old that's in the Boys and Girls, I, I remember the name, it's the Ballers. It's the, the oh, Boys yeah. and Girls Club Ballers. It can, if you can do it, if Gabby Williams did it and she's still 22 and she's still doing it, can a seven-year-old down on Prater Lane at the Boys and Girls Club do it? Yeah, because that's something that, can be taught, you know, or can be instilled in some, there's some things that like, like athleticism or just natural height, you know, things like that, that you can't control, but how hard you work and things like that and having that substance, that's something that you can control and you do, I don't want to say taught because a lot of it isn't taught sometimes, but it is something that you have full control over. So are you saying that grittiness can Mm -hmm. be taught? Like you can go into a situation and think, man, Pandola just, I just went through my first workout at Pandola and I'm never, ever going to come back here. I'm I'm actually going to erase his and his wife's name out of my phone and my mental index. (laughs) I never even want to think about my body going through that again. Mm -hmm. But you're saying that the people that go, I can do this. I can be gritty. Mm -hmm. I'm coming back here. I might throw up seven times again. He might have me do this freaking dumbass exercise called a farmer's walk where I'm carrying (laughs) two 45 pound plates for 400 meters when... Before, I would have said, you're crazy if you think I can do that. Mm -hmm. And now I can do it with ease, right? Right. I'm talking about me personally, which that's a very, very low rung on the ladder of being able to do a farmer's walk as opposed to what you're achieving in life. But if I didn't have the mindset of, I'm coming back here to do this, I'm not going to just stay. I mean, I got to drive like 25 miles to get to that gym, it seems like. And I do it consistently because I don't want to give up. I don't want to just settle, right? Mm-hmm. And the word settle becomes more and more common the older we get because it's easier just to say, I got a paycheck coming in. I got my groceries done. I got my house clean. I'm just going to settle for, settle for you know, mediocrity. And I think that mediocrity and that mindset that it's okay to be mediocre, that's cool. Mm-hmm. But you can never, ever take that and then say, oh, I could have done this if it wasn't for this, or I'm, I, I, you know, she got special treatment or he got special treatment. Mediocrity destroys a team. It dest- that mindset that everybody is the same or everybody's equal, mm-hmm. you, you have to figure out what brings you back, right? right? And I'm trying to get that out of you is like, what brought you back? What, what makes you go, go into a, a, a situation that you're in consistently now and makes you want to go back to it? Because it seems like you've already been there, done that. So is it the money? Do you, are you playing professional basketball because you're getting rich and you're getting all these endorsement deals? What brings Gabby Williams back to the court now? I think every athlete has to have kind of like an appetite, you know, and your appetite changes, your taste buds change, you know? Um, so at first, and for me, it was always kind of having something to prove almost, you know, when I got to UConn, um, I got there because I was good here and I was like, oh, this is a cool opportunity for me. You know I'm mean? But then once I got there, I was like, I have to prove that I belong here. And that was that kind of competitive appetite that I had to like, you know, that I developed. And um, once I proved that I belonged there, I had to prove that I was more than just an athlete. You know, that was a big thing for me, too, to prove because I was my athleticism always stood out. But I was like, look, I am more than this, too. And that's when coaches like, 
you've won this game because of how hard you played and because you did this and because you were a leader, you know, that kind of thing. So I had to prove to everyone and myself, you know, that I was that person. Then I got to the league and I had to prove that I belonged there. And, you know, there's always just kind of like not being able to satisfy an appetite or your appetite changes kind of thing. And I don't know when I'll get to the point in my life where I'll be like, all right, well, I've proved everything I need to prove. I'm satisfied, you know, no more appetite, but I'm just, I'm not there yet. Go back up for a second. You say appetite and mm -hmm. I don't want to, I don't want to get past what, what occurred at UConn because you, you've mentioned a little, a few minutes ago that, well, we made the tournament and the tournament, you know, you got March madness and it goes, yeah. it goes from, you know, the 64 teams, the 32 to the, to the sweet 16, to the elite eight, to the final four, to the national championship game. And you got the women's game that I think is the night after the men's game. I don't know exactly because I, I, I've been out of the, I mean, I haven't never played college basketball, but I haven't really been paying attention lately with, with everything going on in my life. But that wasn't the only time that you went to the tournament. That wasn't the only time that you went to the final four. That was just your first year. That was your freshman year. How many times did you go to the Final Four? Four times. Out of four years. Mm -hmm. So now at UConn now, because of this mentality and that, hey, we're here for a reason, this team, four Final Four appearances. I was talking at the beginning of this about how my alma mater, I think the girls' team won four Nevada State championships at 4A or 5A. You're in the freaking Final Four of NCAA Division I women's basketball four years in a row. Mm -hmm. And you just come off of Reed. You just came out of this little school in Nevada. And now you're a starter, right? Mm -hmm. Did you did you make the all tournament team? Did you did, were you starting? Were you playing in these tournaments? Where where what what was Gabby Williams' role throughout her her UConn career? Um, yeah, by my sophomore year, uh, I did start in the um, championship game because we had an injury. Um, but I mean, I was six man. I was first one off the bench all year. I started a lot of games, um, but I finally had like a a bigger role on the team. But at that point, we had three seniors who were just so ridiculously good. It almost didn't matter. You know, we just had to do a small part, the rest of us. And so I made sure I did the hell out of my part, you know. Uh, everyone did, all of us underclassmen. So then we get to my junior year, and, you know, Brianna Stewart, Morgan Tuck, Mariah Jefferson, they, we called them the big three. They went first, second, and third in the WNBA draft. I mean, these, these kids were ridiculous. First, second, and third rounds? First, second, and third picks. <laughs> top three picks came out they, of UConn that year. They were year. the top three picks of that year. Yeah, Brianna Stewart, Mary Jefferson, Morgan Tuck. Boom, boom, boom. Wow. So we lost those three, and it was like no one thought we were going to even make the Elite Eight, you know, which for any other team, you make the Elite Eight, you get a ring for it. For us, it's like a huge disappointment, you know, if we don't win a national championship. So that year we had um, pretty much – we just had we all just got thrown into these giant shoes that we had to fill, and I think that was when we got this new appetite. Like, okay, we have to prove that we're still UConn, that we still belong. I think Coach Oyama wanted to prove like it wasn't those three guys that got me those rings. It was you know his program, and it and it was. And I think and then we ended up so we didn't win that year, but um, you know we got to the Final Four, and I think just our inexperience kind of killed us. Uh, this is your junior. This is your junior. My year. junior year, yeah. You guys get to the tournament. You're in the final four, and who do, who do you play in your in your in your semifinal matchup? We played Mississippi State. Mississippi State, mm -hmm. and you win this to go to the title game, or did you no, lose? No, we lost this game. So you lose in the semis of of the final four. Your junior year. Now you yeah. got it. Now you it's even. Now here's another threshold because now you're like, hey, we were expected to win last year. 
It's not like the door's open and we're leaving UConn. We, we have another year here. Mm-hmm. So now that, that sounds easy because now, you know, it's our senior year. We get to go through the motions. We, they already know that we're not going to win because we just got beat last year in the Final Four. Or do you step up and go, hey, this isn't going to happen. This, this is not acceptable. Yeah, well, um, the junior year, it was like once, once we proved that we were still really good, we were the number one seed. We were the ones expected to win. I mean, that was that was the most like heart crushing game ever. That Mississippi State game, won at the buzzer or lost at the buzzer, you know, um, in overtime, and um, it was tough because we we spent all this time proving that we were this good and proving that we were the same UConn, all for it to crumble over, you know. It's it's one. funny. To, I mean, it's not funny. That's the wrong word. I apologize. But I'm watching you from four feet away. Mm-hmm. And am I wrong or are you getting kind of, not emotional, but you're like really like pissed about that game still. Yeah. It's like, I can see it with the, the, your body language just changed when I brought that up. Like yeah. it still doesn't sit very well with you. And it's been a few years. Yeah, no, I mean, it doesn't help that we lost on another buzzer beater this year too, but uh, also in overtime. But um, yeah, I still get pissed because I think of everything that we should have done or that I could have did. And I know there's a million things that I would have done differently if I could do it again. Um, Name one. I think especially my senior year, I put so much stress and pressure on myself that I forgot about what got me there. You know, I um, I forgot about, uh, I don't know, I think just because maybe I, I got more publicity and everything my junior year and I had proved everything. Um, I don't know how to explain it. No, I want to hear this because yeah, it makes yeah. sense. Did, did you quit having fun? or were I definitely you... I quit having fun 100% my senior year. I put so much pressure on myself that it was detrimental. And it ruined me as like a, as a, a leader. Like I couldn't be, I wasn't the player that I was my junior year just because I, like we had just lost and everything was stressful. I mean, my junior year was fun because no one expected anything from us and we proved everyone wrong. We were playing together, having fun. My senior year, I think we all kind of were like, shit, we did all that and we still lost. Like, excuse my language. But, no, that's fine. <laughs> but um, so then we get to my, my senior year and then we just stopped having fun with it. And we, I mean, we were just all so stressed because of how things ended the year before. And I think because we kept thinking about that, it, it literally happened again the same exact way. And it, I think it happened because we had that mentality of don't let this happen instead of, you know, we got to play to, we were playing to win, we were playing not to lose. Instead of playing, the I want to put this into perspective, though, so people understand what you're talking about when you say th- th- this loss like devastated me. Because I want to make sure that I have this right. Through four years at UConn, coming off the bench the first two years, being an All-American, mm-hmm. being in the Final Four four times, you were 148 wins to three losses in a four-year career at UConn. And we're sitting here talking about two of those losses right now that could have, I mean, they changed your life in a way. They, they made you question yourself. Mm-hmm. They made you question your character. They made you question your athleticism, your leadership, your discipline, mm-hmm. your mentality. Everything was put into question over three freaking losses. When you had 148 wins, what possibly mentally could be wrong with you as a person to, to only think about these losses when you had 148 times your hand was raised? Yeah. Do you see where I'm going with that question? Yeah. It's those losses that stick in your mind because you know that that record should probably be 150 and one, huh? Yeah. If not 151 and zero, right. that's the mentality of a champion of like it's not acceptable. But to get there, you still are recognizing the fact that you quit having fun. Mm-hmm. 
You quit doing the things that got you to those 148 wins. And the sooner you recognize that, my, my, my question is, were you recognizing it throughout your entire senior season? Were you feeling a different amount of pressure? Were you telling yourself in your, in your apartment that night or on, your way to the, on the way to the practice session, like, man, I just don't feel the same. This doesn't feel the, – the, 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 the culture's not there. Was the culture changing around the gym? Could you sit, sense it as a leader? Or, or, or was it just like a surprise that you lost? Or could you, were, did you really recognize that you were losing your touch or your feel or your fun earlier in that season? I know I could I could feel it early on. I definitely could feel it early on. Um, I mean, just the way we lost my junior year. I mean, I put everything I could into that game um, against Mississippi State, and to come out and you know not get the win after everything that we had gone through that year, and um, just every everyone that we proved wrong, and everything, and then for it to end like that, I was just like, yeah, it, it really really crushed me for a long time. Um, still. I'm still, as you, I mean, you could tell right now. I'm, yeah. I know. I really feel like I, I really feel like you touched a nerve. <laughs> yeah, like I, I think that this is a, I, I think that this is a good um, piece of advice to any guy or any, you know, I don't know if you have a boyfriend or not, but if you are going to ask Abby Williams out on a date, try not to bring up. <laughs> this subject matter because it's going to make the date really uncomfortable because like you're looking at me like you want to like there's a basketball right here like it's almost like a one-on-one confrontation right now and I love that about you it's like I spark this in you that makes you want to go and freaking compete right now and it's easy for somebody to go so what, Gabby? It's one loss. Just relax. Here's yeah. a little. Here's here's your second place trophy. You still get a trophy for participating. You still got to be on ESPN. We're still going to give you a little bit of a runner-up interview. And you're like, you know what? I don't even want to hear it. Yeah. I want to win. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's gotten away from that, Gabby, is that it's okay to freaking want to be a champion. It's okay to want to have your hand raised. It's not okay, in my opinion, to participate. Because it's too easy to go through life participating. It's too easy to be that person that's always getting told, it's okay to participate. I don't want to be the guy that ever tells anybody that. And I sure as hell don't want to be the guy that has somebody say, Chad, it's okay. Joey Gilbert beat you again on the sled push. It's okay. No, it's not. (laughs) As simple as that sounds, at this little tiny sweatshop in Reno, Nevada, I go in there to win. And when I have a workout like I did on Monday when Aaron made me feel like I haven't worked out in six, I literally was like, what is wrong with me? My recovery time's not there. My mentality was like, bring Thursday on. I'm going to go in there. Not that I want Matt to go, good job, Chad. You participated today. I want to be able to drive away from there and fill my hat, fill my shirt, have sweat dropping off of me going, you know what? That's why, that's more like it. That's yeah. what I expect out of myself. That's what I want. So in, in the meantime, in between those two days of preparing for tomorrow's workout, I'm mentally preparing myself. I'm going, you know what? I'm going to do this. I know what's going to happen. Matt's going to fool us at first. He's going to give us a little bit of downtime with a little nutritional talk or something about a muscle group in our body, and then it's go time. And I'm going to be ready for that. And as little as that sounds, as, as mediocre as that sounds, or not mediocre, as minuscule as that sounds, it's a big deal in my life mm-hmm. because that's how I get to the next level in my business career. That's how I get to the next level in my father of being a father. I want to challenge myself in every way possible, even if it means the 60 minutes on Thursday in his gym. And I think that that's what's going on in your psyche right now is like you're ready to freaking get into a practice session or into a workout because it's like I sparked something into you to where the word failure almost snuck in a little bit because it was a failure to lose that game. And that's not okay. It's okay not to want failure, right? Right. Yeah, no, exactly. I think like you said, if um, 
if someone's going to ask me out or talk to me, you don't, tell, you don't tell me, like, oh, well, you did great. You got two rings. Oh, well, you, you got to the Final Four. Like, anyone who knows me, like, no, you don't say that because that's not what I came there for. You know, I didn't play my ass off those games to come out with, like, a participation trophy. Like, oh, well, you got to the Final Four. You know, that's what, not what I went there for. I went to win. And so it's, I, don't, I don't want that pat on the back for, well, you got there, you know. And I think that's what strikes, the ner- you know, hits my nerve uh, more than anything. Do you, think that, do, do you think that you approach your other things in life the same way? And, and I'm going to read you this quote. And, I, and I've been saving this quote because when I got it the other day, I literally filled up with tears. And I mean this. Like, I get emotional thinking about this. And I know you know this, man. I know you know it, Matt. And I, know, I assume you do, Gabby. Les Nesbitt. Mm-hmm. You know, Les, he's been working out with Matt for 20 years. He's 77 years old. He was hitting the heavy yeah. bag. He was, hitting the, he was hitting the heavy bag the other day at 77 years old. And I'm watching him. I'm going, I don't think I would want to F with that dude. Right. I'm 44. He's 30 years older than me. He's 33 years older than me. And he would absolutely hand me my ass. Yeah. Excuse me for cussing. No, he's so cut. Like, <laughs> almost an eight-year-old man. <laughs> like, his, his face doesn't match, like, his body. Dude, I'm telling you. It's he, like CGI, Dante. <laughs> so, this, today's Wednesday, and on Saturday, this quote came through to me. And this is, when was Christmas? Yesterday. Christmas was yesterday. So this is three days before Christmas, Sunday, Monday, so four days, really. Merry Christmas, Chad. I'm honored to call you a friend. Sometimes people who live their life demanding perfection from others are limited on friends. Think about that. Let that sink in for a second. This just came out of the blue to me. I'm like, what the, what? And I read it again. Merry Christmas, Chad. I'm honored to call you a friend. Sometimes people who live their lives demanding perfection from others are limited on friends. And I'm like, holy shit, that son of a bitch has been studying me. Well, they say, uh, you know, once you're, you know, your professional career is really taken off when your personal life falls into, you know, shambles, you know, that's when when your personal life crumbles, that's when you know you're going to succeed. But think about it like this. I'm sitting there going, man, that dude doesn't talk to me anymore. And I'm like, that's why, because I probably demanded so much freaking, per- I was probably so critical and demanded so much perfection from him or her or a girlfriend. They're probably like, you know what? F this, I'm gone. Mm-hmm. And that's what that quote means to me. Gabby is like, I've lived my life demanding so much out of myself, so much from other people that in the long run, it has prevented me from being friends with more people. And then I called Les and I said, what are you saying that you're not my friend because I demand too much? He's like, no, not at all. Mm-hmm. I'm saying that to be your friend is a is difficult because you expect so much out of your friends. And he says, and that's not a bad thing at all. No. He's just simply, and I'm like, oh, this guy's been studying me, Matt. He's been watching me go through, hearing my stories, hearing my business ventures, hearing what I go through on a daily basis. And I'm not saying that I've achieved shit. I'm just saying that he's been studying me because we're friends. And he he had the, he sent that out of the blue. And I was like, wow, that's the way to live life. To me, it's like you demand perfection. Is there anything wrong with that, Gabby? You know, I don't, I don't think so. I think there's something wrong when people uh, ask you to settle for them or ask you to ask less of yourself because it makes them more comfortable. I think that's where the problems become. That's when you start losing friends or, you know, personal relationships is when, you know, people see you succeeding and 
maybe they're not as happy because they're not as much a part of it, you know, or whatever it is. Oh, wait a minute. So now we're getting into a totally different topic that uh I want to see if it's happened to you in your little 22 year reign on this earth. Do you have haters? Absolutely. Really? Like there's people that say there's people that hate on you publicly or personally or behind your back because, Mm -hmm. because why? Because you succeeded or because you stepped outside the norm or because you stepped up as a leader. A lot of times when you take the, uh, let me, let me put it in a negative term. A lot of times when you have the audacity to become a leader and to step up and say, you know what, guys, I want to develop some momentum. I want to have some small term, you know, some short term goals and some long term goals. I want to start putting all these pieces of this puzzle together to achieve two national championships. We're going to go four times, but to get we're going to win it twice. And that's not good enough because all those pieces of the puzzle didn't come together those two times. Mm-hmm. When you have the audacity to step up as a leader, people look at you and go, you're an idiot, man. Sit back down. Oh, look at Gabby Williams up there on her high horse. Mm-hmm. You know, I hear it all the time. I see it all the time. I hear it about him. What? He's not that good of a trainer. I, I go to 24-hour fitness. Yeah, well, the reason Matt is where he's at and gets to sit next to an athlete like you is because he had the audacity mm-hmm. to become a leader. And it's easy to say you have leadership skills, but you're saying you have haters because you stepped up. You, you did it. You went to the next level, and you still continue to go to the next level because you know what? You beat that threshold. You took on several thresholds and you wa- you went over them. You didn't try to go around them or under them. You went over them or through them because you had the audacity to step up as a leader. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's what I see in you, Gabby, is that you, you, you've become a leader and these, uh, all these other people are not your subordinates. They might not be your equals, but they're your teammates. They're the people that are going to get you to that one common goal and they need a leader. And it's okay to step up as that leader. And I think that that's what people in a lot of our cultures and a lot of our communities in our country don't like because they don't have the ability or quote unquote, the audacity to step up as a leader. Am I onto something with that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, yes, in my, you know, short 22 years of life, I have. It is amazing to me that you're only 22 with what you've achieved. That's, it's really awesome. But I have, um, you know, lost a lot of friends and cut off a lot of personal relationships because of. I was just ready to move on or I was just ready to do something for myself or um, it just didn't go along with my my goals, you know. And I do get a lot of criticism, um, especially from here, like, oh, well, she forgot about these people. She's too good for these people. Like, no, you just, you weren't doing anything for me anymore, you know. You just weren't. Like, Matt kept saying, like, oh, I can't believe, like, I'm spending time with him. And there's not a lot of people I have left here that I really spend time with because, a lot of people, Does it hurt you to say this at all? Because I'm when I read that quote from Les the first uh-huh. time, I was like, I'm an asshole. And then I'm like, no, I'm not. I love my friends. I take good care of people. It's yes. not, it, it, it just might not, was, wasn't meant to be that we were going to stay friends our whole life. Exactly. And I think that's when I realized who my true friends were. Because, I mean, um, I have a lot of friends who are my best friends who I probably talk to once a month. <laughs> but because they understand my life and they understand the things I have to do to achieve my goals, they understand that that's just how it's going to be. I mean, me and Matt went a few months without saying a word to each other, but here I am. I get three days at home and I'm going to spend one of them with him, you know, just because... The, the people who will want to see you succeed will understand. And it's about, like, the quality of the time that you spend with them, not necessarily the quantity. And um, it, it does hurt me sometimes when I hear people say these things about me or that, you know, I don't come back often enough or anything. But the people who know me and love me, they, they get why. Here's the question, though. Do you ever say that about anybody? This is the difference, in my mm-hmm. opinion, is that I would be willing to bet, and I'm a betting man, 
I would be willing to bet that if I had a recorder on you, that you probably don't go into a, a, a conversation or you probably don't start a sentence with that, what you just said. Oh, this girl so-and-so doesn't come back. She doesn't pay attention to me. She's, she thinks she's so much better than me. She's, I, I, I would be willing to bet that that's not your mentality of you're just, you're, you know what it's going to take to get to the next level and you're willing to put in the time. You don't have time to sit there and worry about that. Let the haters be the haters and the talkers be the talkers. It, 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 would, I, would, I be, would that be a safe bet? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it's, it's, I mean, especially being kind of on more of a uh, bigger stage and more in the public eye, uh, you hear a lot of great things about yourself, but it's the tiny, like, it'll be that one, you know, troll or one negative comment that'll, that'll, you'll remember, you know, and uh, it's, it's kind of hard to. Um, it's a good point, though, Gabby. Mm -hmm. I like hearing you say that. But yeah. what, why do you remember that, though? With, with everything you've achieved, uh -huh. and I'm the same way, and I'm not even on your level. I'm not, please don't ever take Thank what you. I'm saying trying to say that I'm anywhere near your accomplishments. But mm -hmm. it's that one little troll or that one little negative, pessimistic BS that you hear that you're just like, did I really just let a, ch a chink in my armor happen? <laughs> Did right. I really just let, and they want you to respond. They exactly. want, they want Gabby to get on the microphone and go, wait a minute, before I just, before I talk about my Gatorade player of the year trophy, before I talk about my Nike endorsement, before I talk about my first round draft pick, I have to really, I got to talk about this guy that's in Chicago that just wrote this on this message board. He said <laughs> that I am a prima donna. Like you don't think like that, you, but it is, it's like, it's almost impossible not right. to let that Robert get under your skin when you've got all this badassery going on over here mm -hmm. then this one little comment yeah. makes us go oh my god and that's why i read you that quote from last is because sometimes those comments would make me go oh man man all the wind is being taken out of my cells mm -hmm. but my yeah. mentality now is like you know what it's not it's not going to happen i can't and i see that in you is sitting across the table and i didn't mean to interrupt you but when i heard that it's amazing that you're being very honest right now as a professional one of the best college basketball players ever, one of the first round draft pick, and we're going to get into WNBA, you still can be affected by somebody saying something to you, whether they're considered a hater or not. Mm -hmm. That mentality is so cancerous. It's so, it's so bad for a community and a society. Yeah. And, they, and, they, and we're admitting here on, on a national platform that it can affect you. How do you get past it? How does Gabby Williams go, you know what? I'm not going to let Robert the troll affect me. How do we do yeah. it? How do we as champions, how do we persevere? How do we let that not bother us for that long? Even though it does, it's natural. Yeah. It's natural. Tom Cruise, when he hears, he's a weirdo. Tom Cruise <laughs> has grossed billions of dollars. He was in freaking Top Gun. Mm -hmm. Let's not let, forget about that, right? But people still have the audacity to talk shit about Tom Cruise. He's freaking maverick. How does how does a champion get over that, Gabby? I mean, I don't I don't even know if it's something to get over. You just have to realize like it's just a part of it comes with the job, kind of. It's just kind of what you have to realize. And um, you know, I always hear like, I wish you could just buy confidence by the bottle. Like I would have bought I would have invested a long time ago. Like, <laughs> Ooh, I like as, that. and I think it's it's you just meet some people who just like have it. Like, you can't tell them anything. They're just, like, have so much grace about themselves. Like, you couldn't tell them shit. Well, I like that um, word, grace, too. Yeah, yeah, you know. Like, there's just some people who naturally just have that. Like, you can't tell them anything. Um, I spent a little time with Kobe in the summer. And, I mean, everyone knows Kobe. Like, 
you can't tell him anything. But that's why he got where he got. You the know, mamba? He just, yeah. The mamba. The mamba. Well, tell <laughs> me about tell me about that because and, that that to me is like exactly what we just preceded that comment with is I've heard more bad about Kobe on the national level mm -hmm. than you hear he was hard teammate to play with. He was hard to do with. He was this, he was that. And I'm like, dude, the guy is one of the top five greatest all around basketball mm -hmm. players of all time in the history of the world. In my opinion, I, I mean, I have my thoughts and I, and I, I might not be the end all when it comes to that, but mm -hmm. he is right there with, with the MJs and, and with the Kareem's and with the magics and like in the Larry birds and in those guys, like he's, he, his mentality had to be on a different level, but people still have the audacity to go, he was a piece of shit. Like, can uh, you imagine? Can you imagine with everything he achieved? 100%. I think, like, Kobe's mentality and his approach to everything is the reason why he's Kobe Bryant. I mean, uh, that's one person where, like, a, a troll could never get to Kobe Bryant, <laughs> ever. I, don't, I think anyone else, he'd be the last person on this planet to let a comment like that really get to him, and I think that's what set him apart. And I think that when you put it on his level of the, the, the attention that some of the things that happened in his personal life and, and mm -hmm. things that happened between him and Shaquille O'Neal, and you start to look at the, the story of Kobe Bryant, let's, I mean, Kobe Bryant didn't play college basketball. That was the era of when, like, Garnett and Kobe were coming out of high school mm -hmm. and competing in the, in the NBA. They were playing with, you know, Shaq came out of LSU and he went to the Magic and then he came to LA and joined forces with the Mamba and they and they created a, 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 a pretty short-term dynasty, but that's the last time the Lakers had a heyday. And he doesn't have time to put up with the quote-unquote troll that you're talking about. And you, you revert it back to the Gabby Williams life of... I have a stat here. I'm going to read these names and I just, and you might not know this, I'm putting you on the spot, but I want you to tell me what Gabby Williams, you, uh -huh. have in common with these names. Tina Charles, Rebecca Lobo, Maya Moore, Stephanie Dolson, and Jamel Elliott. Okay. Okay. Do you, besides being teammates or playing at the same alma mater of UConn, what do you have in common with those five ladies? Man, I don't, I mean, when you list those names, I guess maybe just because I know all of them. They're all completely different people <laughs> from each other. This says like, that you, with those five, are the only six females in UConn history to score at least 1,000 points and have 1,000 rebounds oh, in a college career. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so think about what I just said. Like, like, look how humble you are. You don't even know these stats. Yeah. You were the one of the old dude. It says Rebecca Lobo. She, in my opinion, is one of the best female basketball players ever to watch. Her handling skills were amazing, but th those names I just named and your names with those as one of the only six women, and it's probably arguably the number one female NCAA basketball program in the history of the world. Six people have had a thousand points and a thousand rebounds, and you're one of them. So you put that mentality. Now you got this hater that has the audacity to say something when you could go, look at the scoreboard. Like, think about the mentality that these people have to talk smack about Gabby Williams or Kobe Bryant when all you got to do is hold up the freaking phone and show them. Why do they have the, again, the audacity to say that? And why don't you? Why don't you talk smack about somebody that doesn't achieve it when they really don't because you've been there, done it? Or were you just taught, is your mentality of, you know what? I don't have time. I'm too busy winning, just like Kobe was. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, stats like that, um, especially being at UConn, um, I don't know. It's hard, it's hard to even take credit for it. 
because uh, I mean, there's I'm sure you could look up a million different like little records and stuff that everybody has kind of at UConn. It's I just felt like it was the position like we were given the tools at UConn, you know, in order to to get those stats like that. So I don't even like I didn't know that was a stat. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm sure I've heard it in the media. The media is always throwing different things at us. It was like when my junior year, um, you don't even feel like it's yours kind of thing. Like, I don't feel like that's my stat. Like, I don't feel like I, I did. It's almost like, it's almost like you have a, a publicist sitting next to you to answer these questions, <laughs> but you don't well, no, like, this no, is your, that's... this is your real mindset. It's, it's, yeah. it's refreshing to hear that somebody actually have that mindset that it, it doesn't even feel like when I read those stats, it doesn't even feel like it was you. It was a conglomerate mm -hmm. of what Gino was putting together in this mindset that spread through this entire part of the country of like, Hey, we're UConn. Mm -hmm. the, you're, if you're with us, we're all together. It doesn't matter. I mean, I can go down the list if you want me to keep naming your accolades, but you're still <laughs> going to give me the same answer. You yeah. won the defensive player of the year, but you're going to look across this table and tell me, well, that was I, I was given the tools to do that. Mm -hmm. I was taught how to move my feet and watch the belly button. I knew where my other girls on the court were going to be. I knew that I was going to only have to cover this person because the other four ladies on the court and the other girls on the bench had my back in every other capacity because we were a unit. We yeah. were a team. We were a community. We had culture together. We believed in the same common goals. Yeah. We weren't afraid to step up for each other. We were winners. Yeah. No, so, definitely. I mean, just like, okay, so my junior year, we had this streak. This like this is the perfect time to talk about this. We had this god-awful streak that we were so sick of everyone freaking talking about. So we, we got, like, um, the South Carolina game that Matt came to was our 100th win in a row. Half the girls on that team weren't even around for the first 50 of those games, or 80 of them, really. So we were, like, everyone kept saying, oh, well, this is when – 87 this is win 88 is UConn gonna get win 90 and we were like shut the hell up about this streak this isn't our streak this is Bri this is Brianna Stewart's streak this is Morgan Tuck's streak this is UConn's like this isn't and it, it was like the streak was just hanging over our head um of however many wins we could get and I remember even after we lost in the final four I mean you know coach said his words we had our tears and everything and he was just like God, I'm so I'm just so happy that damn streak is over. Yeah, <laughs> like, the monkey was off the bag now. Yeah, because it didn't feel like it was ours. We were like, we're doing this amazing thing as these five players or whatever, ten players. We're doing these great things on the court, you know, and everyone's still talking about this streak. No one's talking about what we're doing, but they're talking about all these wins that we had before, you know, a, a lot of the team was even here, you know, because it started, it started my freshman year and went up to my junior year. So, I mean, a lot of the girls that were playing weren't on the team. So they're like, can we stop talking about this streak? Like, this isn't, this is maybe Coach Oriyama could talk about it. It's his history. He coached all those games. But a lot of those games were won for us. So you, you are giving the credit to the team again. And I, I completely understand what you're saying is I, I would bet that the mentality of those girls that were on the first 80 wins that were now either in the WNBA or starting their professional careers and they're watching ESPN that night and they're going, they're probably saying the exact opposite. Like, go, girl. Go get it, Gabby. Go get those wins because now they're supporting you. Just like you're saying these were your wins and this has nothing to do with this current team, uh -huh. they're saying, hey, our teams back then are, are what made this team it is today and we want you to keep going. So that whole mentality that Gino is spreading across the, the UConn nation is, is, is really solidifying your position and what's going to take you to the next level in life, which now you come out of the NCAA – Final four, your senior season, you don't have the outcome that you want, 
but you go in the first round to Chicago in the WNBA draft, mm-hmm. were you expecting this? Were you getting phone calls saying, hey, be prepared, your phone's going to ring today? I kind of, um, uh, comparing it to the, the uh, Major League Baseball draft, which I never went in, which I really thought that I should have, and I cried for probably three weeks after, after it happened. Gabby, don't laugh at me. It was really a hard time in my life. But are you sitting there watching the phone, or you got your whole family around you? You got cameras on you, but hey, Gabby Williams is waiting for her call? Is that, how did it go? Give me the, give me what was going on in your mind or what was going on physically at that time in your life when you had the chance to become a freaking professional athlete? Uh, I just wanted to throw up the whole day. Oh my gosh. I was so stressed. Um, so, I mean, you kind of have an idea and you see the mock drafts and everything, but you really just, you never know. And it's, it is such a stressful thing. Like, no one thinks about it. One day, you have no idea where you're going to be. And then you're like, okay, this is the city I'm going to live in. This is my new team, my new job. Like, that's not a normal thing. People don't really grasp that or understand how crazy the draft actually is. Like, you have no say in what <laughs> in how it goes. So, um, I mean, my agent was texting me, like, here's a possible trade. Look out for this. This could happen. But you still don't know. So, uh, we went to New York for the draft. You know, the 10 players get invited. Um, and so it was just me and my mom and we're just at the table and I just remember, I just focused on getting ready and I was like, okay, I don't know what's going to happen tonight, but I'm going to look good. (laughs) I'm going to have my my hair in Where where are you at? In New York City. So did you go shopping that day in New York? Uh, no, actually, um, my agent and everything helped me get a stylist and all that. So you're in your hotel room, just like pretty woman in it up. Like, you just like (laughs) bags of clothes coming in. Now this is a big deal because this couldn't have happened the the, the previous four years. Yeah. And I had it written down to talk to you about that mm-hmm. is that now you're allowed to be given a, a gift because in, in NCAA, I mean, you got to be really, really careful with the rules and regulations uh-huh. of, the, of the abiding laws of a college athlete. You, well, I wasn't a college athlete anymore. No, but that's yeah. what I'm saying though. Yeah. It's now you can, you now you can, oh, you, okay, you can yeah. reap these rewards. Like, Hey, Right. I can have somebody buy me some makeup and have a stylist come in here and do my hair. Right. You're damn right I can because for the previous four years, you weren't allowed to have mm-hmm. a gift given to you pretty much without being, oh, my gosh, we better investigate this. She just got a Happy Meal from this dude. You know, like it's they, they are very strict on, on, on athletes accepting gifts in the NCAA. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's a scam. It's corrupt. But that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> oh, why? Because you yeah. guys make all this money for these schools and sell your jerseys with your names on them and you don't get a cut of it. Right. I, I, I could talk about. I could talk about that. Maybe we could do another podcast, like now that you're out of it, and maybe Uh, we do a podcast on NCAA and what these athletes are doing for these institutions. And then they're like, "Um, "We're not going to allow you to sign your autograph." All this stuff that goes down, I'm just like, "Are you freaking kidding me? These seats are full because of these guys. Mm -hmm. It's not because you have the number one med school in the nation. It's because the badass athletes are filling these arenas and selling them out for you." Right. Yeah. So anyway, let's not get into that because like, that now I just be I just touched podcast. another nerve. I just touched another nerve, and I'm good at touching nerves yeah. and Gabby, gaggling But so now you're in New York. You're getting your hair done. You got all these people around you. You still don't know where you're going or when you're going, right? Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. No, it was nerve wracking. And I mean, like you said, it was the first time in my life where uh, I remember, like the day after we lost um, this year in the Final Four, I officially wasn't an NCAA athlete anymore, and. Um, I had to go to like an, an award ceremony thing after, and um, my she's now my my Nike rep. She comes. I hadn't made a decision on you know signing with anyone yet, 
And she just comes up and she hands me like a whole suitcase of <laughs> like Nike gear. And she goes, let me know when you want to make a decision. And I'm looking at, my coaches were there too. And I'm like, can I take this? Am I allowed to like, <laughs> and they're like, yeah, you don't play. Um, but it was, yeah, and so then I get to New York and I'm allowed to get like, you know, jewelry and things like that, which, had, which was new for me. Um, and I was just trying to find every way to distract myself from just, just have knowing, knowing, I mean the men, so the, in the NBA, you have time, you have months, you get to go to a combine, you get to train with every team. In the WNBA, you have two weeks from the final four to the draft. I think I finished my career on like March 30th and the draft was April 12th. So you so like two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. You have two. And all you get is like a couple phone calls with coaches. And, you know, all you want to do is ask this coach, like, okay, so are you going to draft me? Like, but you can't do that, you know? You, you just have these conversations of, oh, here's how I like to play, and the coach tells you what he's looking for, but you still have no idea, you know? Is Gino a part of your life at this time after the, the college career is open? Is he still giving you pieces of advice going into the draft, or does he completely have to stay out of it being an NCAA, or can he still no, mentor yeah, you? Yeah, of course. And my coaches helped me through a lot of it, and they – they were kind of the, the middleman between me and the WNBA coaches. The coaches talked to my coaches to learn more about me and stuff. But it's you have such a short amount of time um, to figure it all out. And the next thing you know, you're sitting in your draft table waiting for your name to be called. And you're, so you're at the table. Your mom's with you. Mm -hmm. Your mom has flown across the country. I'm sure she probably did several times watching you play college basketball. Now she's like, my daughter has a chance to go to the WNBA, which – it's a big deal. Mm -hmm. It's a big deal. And it, let's put it into perspective. It, it, the NBA has been around a lot longer. There hasn't been a such thing as a professional women's basketball player for very long in American culture. Correct me if I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. When yeah. did it come into existence? Do you know? I think it was about 21 years ago. Yeah. 21 years. The NBA has been around. WNBA. Yeah. I mean, the WNBA has yeah. been around 21 years. That's not very long. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're as old as the, yeah. the WNBA pretty much. Yeah. Um, yeah. And people say like a lot of, you know, um, just how it's not built up as much and not as popular. No one cares about the WNBA. I mean, we hear that all the time, but no one cared much about the NBA 20 years in, you know. A lot of those guys, I mean, we're lucky because we get to go overseas and make, you know, a lot better money and stuff like that and have a whole other league there. People, like, when the NBA first started, those guys were, like, custodians <laughs> as yeah. a side job, you know. Because there was the ABA, and then there was, and then they joined forces, and the NBA comes about. Yeah. And you're exactly right. The money wasn't there. The mm -hmm. tenure wasn't there. The draft wasn't there. And right. and it had it. It, it was a business. A it to took develop. a while to become mm -hmm. a brand. Right. So 21 years into the WNBA, you're making headway with the league. The league isn't going anywhere. They mm -hmm. are. They have the best athletes coming out of the best NCAA schools no matter what level of college you play at there's different levels of college athletes that are in the WNBA but now when you get there you get your you're in New York mm -hmm. in the in in the the I don't know what they is it the president of the NBA that does it I know that the commissioner does it on different levels in 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 like you know David Stern would do it or or mm -hmm. Jewel, you know somebody would do it for for baseball or the NBA draft you you this man's up there talking and they're like the 18th pick in the first round of the 2000 17? It was 2018. 2018 WNBA draft for the Chicago Sky is Gabby Williams yeah. from UConn. So, yeah. The, is the, that how it goes, kind of? It's the president. Yeah, the president does the – she reads it off. Um, yeah, that's how it goes. 
Tell me about what you're thinking. Like you're sitting there with your mom. Does your mom just fill up with tears or is she like, that's my girl? I already knew it. I expected it. She's been a champion her whole life. She's 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 destroyed every threshold that's presented itself to her. Mm-hmm. This is this is expected. Or was there just like a moment of like, oh my God, this is really this is this is awesome between mom and daughter? Yeah. I think it was a really, really special moment for both of us to have. Um, just because I mean we had a lot of like uh I don't know, it was just a cool moment just to have just me and my mom because we have very rare moments like few opportunities for it to just be us two you know and she saw how stressed out I was um about it and I think I stressed her out more um and I couldn't tell her what was going to happen that night and usually you know your mom is supposed to be the one who's like oh it's okay this will happen but she couldn't because she knew she knew that there was no say in it so when it finally happened we were both just like we could just relax you know and the tension and everything I had worked for is just kind of just paid off in like one deep sigh of relief really was what it was and yeah so me and her sitting at the table and you know you see the 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 board up and everything and it's like the number four pick and then I see the camera come to me and so I mean you know you're picked before they actually say the name because you know the camera's oh wait so you're the number four pick yeah in the first round Mm -hmm. oh then I then I just insulted you kind of I thought that you were the 18th pick you're the number four pick. There's in not the, even 18 picks in the first not, round. So you're the number four pick in the first round of yeah. the NCAA draft. So three girls went before you. Uh-huh. And you, the camera kind of pans in on you and your mom. And, and you already knew you're going. And yeah. I'm just trying to put it into perspective of what this means. Because the, it's easy to look up on the wall at Pendola and see you know, your poster up there. But to know what you've done now, to get mm-hmm. to this point in your career... And I and I, I started to talk about this three three minutes ago about the WNBA and the W the WNBA and the NBA. It's almost culturally acceptable mm-hmm. to think that well, the WNBA, whatever. Nobody understands the grit and the yeah. tenacity and the thresholds again that were overcome for these girls like yourself to get to that point in their career. It's not fair as a culture to say, turn the freaking TV off if the WNBA's on. Mm-hmm. I want to watch Kobe. It's not fair. Now, yeah. I don't want to be that guy that says, oh, it's not fair because you don't give a shit whether or not I think it's fair or not. I'm simply trying to say, you guys have had to achieve the exact same thing against the same exact level of competition to get to where you're at. It's nothing to be taken lightly or to take for granted. And that's why you made eye contact with your mom across that table. And she probably put her hand on your leg and went, that's my baby. Mm -hmm. Congratulations. I'm so proud of you because nobody on my side or looking from the outside, looking in understands what you went through to get there because we automatically assume it's not that big of a deal because it's not the NBA because you're not Kobe Bryant. You're just getting, that's not the case. You are a badass premier athlete that's Mm -hmm. achieving stuff that a little girl only dreams about. And that's why that moment you looked at your mom and you went, man, this is really something. All of the, all of that grit Mm -hmm. just came to a, one, you're just apexed right here for me. Right. This is the all-time high, right? Right. Yeah, definitely. And I think people don't realize just how competitive um, it is to keep to keep your job in the WNBA. There's only 12 teams. There's only 144 spots. A lot of really, really good players get cut. There's lottery picks that are getting cut. You know, I mean, like not in the same year. Like a few years later, if you're a lottery pick, that a lottery pick in the NBA is gonna be is gonna have a whole career. You know, that's not necessarily true in the WNBA. You're competing every day for your spot and for your job because it's so limited. So anyone who says like, oh, well, I just don't like the style of play or I just don't like, you're probably just sexist. 
because <laughs> it's really that's really all it is. Because I I mean every time people come watch a WNBA game, they they realize just how good the basketball is. Because I mean it is the best 144 players in the world, and there's a lot of girls who are getting cut who don't get drafted, who should have been, but there's just simply just not enough spots in the WNBA. Like it is the best you know basketball at this level for women. Well, let's 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 mm-hmm. break it down to. You take 50 states in the union. You have, uh, I don't even know how many high schools across the country. Mm-hmm. Then you take it to the next level of junior colleges and colleges at every different level of, of, of you know, Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three. There's thousands and thousands upon thousands and thousands of female basketball players in this country. I could take you right now to gyms in this, within 20 miles of here, mm-hmm. and there'll be a couple hundred. 144 of you get to have a spot in the WNBA. The odds of getting there mm-hmm. are almost mathematically impossible. And now you're telling me that the odds of staying there are even harder because of the new competition coming in. Every year. So that's mm-hmm. another threshold. So here we are again. We've already had our name called as an NCAA champion, an NCAA All-American, an NCAA Defensive Player of the Year. I've already had my name called in the first round, number four pick of the WNBA draft, and here I am faced with another threshold. Mm-hmm. Now I got to have more stress. I got to perform for my endorsements. I got Nike. I have all these people that I'm flying their flag. I'm shouldering the responsibility of being a Nike endorsed professional athlete. And now I have to worry about keeping my job. Mm-hmm. And then it's not even over when the WNBA season's over. You go overseas and you pick up a basketball in Italy now, and now you're playing against top level world competition. Is it just for the money over there, or do you have to stay in shape, or is your is your mamba mentality so ingrained in your brain, Gabby, that you can't go without competing every day of your life? What's your problem? Why do you not just wait <laughs> for WNBA to start next year and take some time off, for God's sakes? Um, I guess it's it's just kind of the culture now of women's basketball. It's just kind of uh, it is a lot because of the money, and it is. Um, I mean, it's it's just what you kind of have to do. Uh, you know, in order to make enough for the year. Um, but it, it is to keep the competition going, too. It's to stay in shape. It's to keep competing and to keep playing. Uh, and then there's a whole other, you know, there's a WNBA champion and championship, and then there's a EuroLeague championship or the Italian championship or Euro Cup or whatever it is that people are also competing for. Or there's some people playing China and South Korea. So it's another goal. It's another thing to, like, you know, fill your appetite. But uh, it is just kind of the culture of women's basketball right now, and, and it's just kind of what we have to do, one for the money and one – to keep playing year round is to go overseas. And um, I think we're also playing and doing all this so that one day maybe the, the WNBA does become year round and we won't have to do this anymore. But we're, you know, we're doing it to build up women's basketball too. So you are, you're being more than just an athlete. I mean, you are, you're not really considered a trailblazer, but you and your teammates right now are mm-hmm. the mindset is, Hey, we have to work our asses off to make sure that our league is here in 20 years. It's right. this is what we do. This is what we are. And that's going to, I know, I know you have a, a busy schedule. I know you're getting ready to fly back to Italy. You're at home for the holidays. I'm humbled to be able to have the chance to sit down with you. I know Matt's humbled to be your coach. I know that you owe a lot of your success to Matt. I know that you graciously give a lot of your success to Pandola and what you learn there, not just physically, but mentally. You, you are a stud athlete, but even a better person, like Matt said. Me getting to spend two hours with you, I can tell that I would love to do another podcast. I would love to smoke you in one-on-one, which I think <laughs> I might probably not be able to do. But let's say that we walk into a gym, and you see a seven-year-old girl with a basketball in her hand, 
and you look at you can see her from 20 feet away that you know she just loves it mm -hmm. she got a ton of just a ton of passion for that piece of leather in her hand she loves dribbling it she loves shooting it. you can see her expression on her face when she lets go of her jump shot whether it goes in or not she runs underneath the basket and gets her own rebound she goes back out just the same exact shit that gabby williams used to do mm. and that mom comes up to you or that dad and says hey you got any advice you got any can you just can you say hi to my daughter mm -hmm. what, what what do you say let's end it by like what does gabby williams say i was going to ask you another question and i want you to keep this in mind for our next podcast yeah in five years, or let's say when your career as a basketball player is over, and I and I and I know that you're going to crush everything in, in your path until that happens and the rest of your life. But I want you to think about if there was a reality show about Gabby Williams, and there was this camera crew following you around. What could the viewer expect to see in Gabby Williams' life? Because I know that there's a whole hell of a lot more substance behind you than what I was able to dig deep into. So think about yeah. that for our next one. But what does Gabby Williams say to that seven-year-old girl that has dreams of being the fourth-round pick to the Chicago Sky in the WNBA draft? Man. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those things. Uh, well, I mean, we did actually have a reality show. <laughs> we did have a reality show at UConn on HBO. Um, and I think people finally saw that we were more than just athletes and, you know, that there is a lot more substance to us. So I guess that's what I try to um, – and there's a lot of women in the WNBA right now who uh, we're fight. We just close. We just close our CBA. You know, we're fighting for a new one, kind of thing. There's a possibility of a lockout. You know, all these things. We're fighting for that seven-year-old girl. So one, I would tell that girl that I'm playing for her, and she better not let me down. You know, I'm doing all this for her, and maybe that'll be motivation. Like, wow, because that's what I think. I think, wow, Rebecca Lobo did this so I could play. You know, so and so did this and all that so that I could play. And I want to show that girl, look, I'm doing this so that you could play. So. Don't let me down. It's pretty awesome. Because people, you know, I feel like they always say, oh, you know, try your best, do that, whatever. But I think if you give that girl motivation, like build this up so that you can build it up for someone else. You know, keep this going. I'm lighting the fire. I'm trying to, I'm trying to pass this torch to you. Are you going to be ready when I pass it to you? That's awesome. And one thing that I would love to see out of you is I have a seven-year-old daughter, and she turns eight next week. She's the same age pretty much as Matt's daughter. Mm -hmm. Um It'd be cool to have you come back to this area and do a seminar and talk about what you just said in the last 30 seconds, because it, 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 it's a message that needs to be known and the way that you get it out there and the way that you talk about it, it's refreshing. And so I, I love the fact that there is no such thing as a participation award in Gabby Williams' life. I love the fact that you understood the word threshold right when I said it, because at 44, I'm still learning what thresholds are and how to beat them and how to, how to you know maneuver in this life in this thing we call life and in the re in reality basketball is just a small part of what your life's going to be because you can't play forever you're mm -hmm. you're 22 going on like 40 with your maturity level you're going to have to figure out a lot of things like I had to figure out and what Matt figures out on a daily basis and I want to come back together I want to learn what's going on after that is it entrepreneurship are you a, a future business leader of America are you a seminar speaker are you a coach at the division one level are you going to be an owner of a WNBA team like Jordan did when he retired and, and bought the Washington Wizards and now is the owner yeah. of another team? There's so much out there that you can do with the mentality that sports and athletics and discipline and Matt Pandola and your coaches have instilled in you and what your mom instilled in you. So to, from me to you, it was an honor to talk to you. I want to do it again. I would love my daughter to meet you. I think that more people deserve to meet people like you that have this winning mentality. 
And I know that Matt's going to close it out, but Gabby, you are a badass. <laughs> I do want you to sign. I brought in a basketball. You can see I got one signed by Bill Walton, okay. who I think is awesome. Yeah. But I would love, I'd be honored to have you sign this for, uh, I got a, a, another man cave outside of here that's probably, you would be think that I was crazy if you saw what's in there. I'm a huge Mike Tyson fan. Okay. Like I, ha I love Mike Tyson. I yeah. don't know if you do. But anyway, thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Travel safe. Good luck in the WNBA next year. But right now you got to concentrate on Italy. Mm -hmm. If you want me to make you some gnocchi or anything, I'm pretty good <laughs> Italian cook sometimes. All so right. kudos to you. All right. I thank you so much you. for having me. This has thank, been fun. Thank you, Gabby. Yeah, yeah. Matt, go ahead, brother. Raise your expectations, right? A lot of what Gabby was just talking about is doing that. And I think she is a trailblazer, Chad. You know, you, you were talking about that, especially in women's sports. My own daughter, your daughter being seven years old, she watched Gabby play in a game and she was amazed. And now we still talk about that, what's possible when we talk about Gabby. And she's a role model for my daughter. She's a role model for a lot of little girls out there. And just athletes, period. When you swim into deeper waters, guys, you're going to run into some sharks, right? And you got to be ready for that. And nobody likes to lose. Gabby talked about that. Nobody likes to lose. But if you're going to lose, at least learn from it and grow from it and raise your expectations for yourself. And those things are going to allow you to keep yourself going in the right direction, keep improving, be successful. And I think a lot of what Gabby said today, we, we could turn every five minutes into a lecture or seminar for, for, for ourselves to get better versions uh, of ourselves for our own goals, no matter what it is, sport, business, school, whatever it is. So I learned so much today just by listening to Gabby. I always learn by listening to Gabby. And what I really learned today about you talk about threshold, she got 1% better at a time, but she kept raising her expectations as she got better. And I think that's an important thing. We have to hold ourselves accountable to how we see ourselves, what vision we have for ourselves, what's our legacy going to be. And I can tell you, Gabby's legacy is not over. I cannot wait to see what she does next. And I agree 100%. I cannot wait. I'm a, even more of a fan of her now. And I, I don't have a personal connection to her except the gym, which I think you should be honored that she came through that gym and that you are a part of her, one of her getting through that threshold of that operation and going to UConn. And now you guys are friends. I can see the emotional attachment. And I think that that is so badass in life that you guys have that mutual respect as coach, mentor, athlete, but more importantly, friends that would probably take a bullet for each other. Gabby, I wish you the best of luck in Italy. I can't wait to see you come back to America for next season's WNBA, um, your, your, your sophomore year in the WNBA. My goal now, I'm going to get my daughter Gabby Williams jersey. I want you yes. to come back and sign it. I want to do this again. I want to stay in touch because I truly am motivated and inspired by people like you. That's why I do this. I sit down and, 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 and people are like, why would you talk to a 22-year-old WNBA? And I go, just listen to what she says and then figure out what you need to do tomorrow to wake up and be better when your feet hit that ground. And Matt always talks about making a better versions of ourselves. I'm motivated even more after talking to you today. And I think that you have something special to be, to bring. And the message that you deliver is, is, is provided in the right manner. Your hum, your humility is awesome. But I know that that humility is going to go out the door when you get challenged and you're going to put the smack down on somebody. And you, and that's the way to live life. 
you're compassionate, you love people, you're you well-mannered, your your mom and, and, and your and your leadership did a great job in your life. And I give everybody in your life kudos because they raised an awesome person. I'm not kissing your ass because I still do <laughs> want to play one-on-one, but it's refreshing to see that at 22 years old, there is there is leaders out there in our communities and in our society. So keep kicking ass. This podcast is called This Life Ain't For Everybody. And for sure, your life probably isn't because of all the hours you put in. But good work, girl. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun. Guys, Chad Belding, This Life Ain't For Everybody. Thank you so much to Gabby Williams. Check her out in the WNBA, the European League. She is a bona fide badass. Her coach and mentor, Matt Pandola, you've heard him here a bunch, the Pandola Project. Keep watching for more videos from Matt, his wife, Erin, his gym. I'm telling you, it is a game changer when you finally apply yourself and want to make a better version of yourself every day. I'm Chad Belding for The Foul Life. This life ain't for everybody. Tom Rashishin, our producer, please, would you do me the favor and play that song by Leith Lofton, What You Gonna Do When the Money's All Gone? Mm-hmm.